재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Every Sunday, we start the show with Helen Cho's hot new releases. Helen is a freelance translator, interpreter, and book news reporter for The Bookend. Hi, Helen. Hello. I have a new job title now, book news reporter. Yes, yes. <laughs> I have single-handedly decided to add that title to your resume yes, slash I, introduction. Yes, Congratulations, I, thank Helen. Thank you. I feel more important. Yes, you are very <laughs> important to us, Helen. So last week, we talked about some of the fiction titles on the publisher's weekly list of the most anticipated books of spring 2016. Let's continue with the list and see which other titles we should look forward to this spring. Yes, we talked about the first three titles on the list last week, The Vegetarian by Han Gang, mm-hmm. that came out in the States earlier this month and mm-hmm. it's already got some really good reviews. So congratulations to Han Gang. Yes, yay, Han Gang. <laughs> and then Zero K by Don DeLillo and La Rose by Louis Aldrich. That's both, they're both coming out in May. Mm-hmm. And the next one on our list is The Mirror Thief by Martin C. That's also coming out in May. Mm-hmm. And it's his debut novel. Um, it's a modern thriller, a supernatural mystery, and historical adventure story all rolled into one. And it's set in three different places and three different times. Um, 16th century Venice, um, Venice Beach, California, around <laughs> 1958. Uh-huh. And also the modern-day Venice Casino in Las Vegas mm-hmm. in So the story starts in present-day Las Vegas and main character is a man named Curtis Stone who used to be an ex-marine man and is now um, works as a manhunter and he has to track a famous gambler named Stanley Glass um, but then he finds instead a mysterious book called The Mirror Thief which mm-hmm. is also the title of the novel itself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a snob but I, I feel like a book is... An unlikely sort of object to pop up in a in a book set in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and this though is actually what connects everything together. And the narrative then jumps back to 1958 in Venice Beach, mm-hmm. and is that we are at the dawn of the beat poetry scene. And um, our man Stanley Glass is a small time um, con artist and is obsessed with the author of the Mirror Thief, a man named Adrian Wells. And then um, we go even further back in time um, to 1592 in mm-hmm. Venice, Italian Venice. And we um, are treated to the subject of um, Adrian Wells' book. It's a man named Crivano who um, goes off on a dangerous mission. So it seems like there's all these Venices and then there are all these men who are connected in these different Venice locations. Mm-hmm. There are mirrors um, in the book, both literal and figurative. Mm-hmm. And what the three men are doing without realizing it, um, Crivano, Stanley and Curtis, is that they're actually searching for the mystery behind those mirrors. Mm. Next on our list is a multi-generation story of survival. Right? Yes, we have another brilliant debut novel, and this time from Yajiashi. Um, it's called Homegoing, and it looks at the histories of both Ghana and America by tracing a single bloodline across seven generations. Wow, that's a lot of generations. <laughs> yes. Um, so we start with two um, half-sisters, Ifya mm-hmm. and Isi. And Ifya is married off to a British colonizer in the 1760s, 
1860s and around the same time, her half-sister Issy is captured into the British slave trading system. Mm-hmm. And um, we see what happens to their respective families um, through the eyes of different characters like slaves, wanderers, union leaders, teachers and more. And their alternating narratives um, very much feel like linked short stories mm-hmm. and each descendant receives his or her own chapter mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. That sounds like an a sort of epic format that I would enjoy. Can you tell us more about the descendants? So Issa's descendants um, find themselves toiling away on plantations in the American South, mm-hmm. but then and they escape to the North for freedom. And similarly, Issa's grandson breaks away from the Gold Coast slave trading system and he disappears to live a simple existence with his one true love. Mm-hmm. So um, in both America and Ghana, um, you see how prosperity goes up and down from parent to child. Um, mm-hmm. Love comes and goes and, you know, the character's trust of white men wavers. Mm-hmm. And these different story elements actually echo one another um, to show how history very often repeats itself. Mm, unfortunately, it does. Mm-hmm. And we have an Annie Prue title. Yes, we do. The last title on our list, um, Bark Skins, is coming out in June. And Annie Prue is has been described as one of the greatest American writers. And I totally agree. <laughs> um, so the Pulitzer Prizing, um, Prize-winning author of The Shipping News and Brooklyn Mountain has taken a decade to write her fifth novel, Bark Skins. Wow. So we have yet another masterpiece from Annie Prue to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And it's a novel about taming the wilderness and destroying the forest. And the story is set over three centuries. Mm. It starts in the late 17th century and our two characters are two illiterate woodsmen, René Sale and Charles Duquette, and they have to make their way from northern France to new France to seek a living. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that they're going on this adventure, but it's a little heartbreaking that they're destroying stretches of untouched forests mm-hmm. to do it. They are charged with clearing um, the forest they're Mm -hmm. traveling through and they suffer extraordinary hardships. And um, they sometimes actually dream of uh, the forest commercial potential. Mm. And the two men go separate ways and Renee marries an Indian healer. They have children, so they actually bring the two cultures together. Mm -hmm. And Duquette travels the globe and come back. um, He comes back and starting a logging family who actually prospers for generations. Mm. Do we also get to hear about the prosperous generations? We do, of course. We hear about the stories of the children, grandchildren and descendants of these two families, the Cells and the Duquettes, as well as the descendants of their friends and family. They travel back um, to Europe, to China, to New England. There's just a lot going on in the book. There are mm. accidents, pestilence, Indian attacks and the revenge mm. of rivals. <laughs> and what um, Annie Proust is really good at is creating um, characters who are so real, so vivid, and you really um, actually end up following them with um, so much attention, see what happens, you know, what they end up doing um, with their greed and sorrow, compassion and hope and all that. Mm. Well, thanks to you, my list of books to read is growing. Yes. (laughs) I'm adding bark skins to that list. Yes.
In the international literary world, we've had some sad news this week. Can you tell us about the two great authors that we have had to say goodbye to recently? Yes, some time ago, um, on the 19th of February, um, Harper Lee, the author of To Kill a Mockingbird, passed away in her sleep at the age of 89 mm. um, at a residence in Monroeville, Alabama. Um, you know, she rose to prominence with her very first novel, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, a story about race and rela- race relations in Alabama. The book came out in 1960 and it won her the 1961 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction mm-hmm. and it has sold more than 40 million copies worldwide. Wow. That was the only book she had written in her entire career until very, very recently, mm-hmm. right? Yes, we talked about her show and um, recently in relation to her second novel, Ghost at a Watchman. Her fans had to wait for decades and decades for her next novel because she insisted that she would mm-hmm. never publish another one. And then, and this time last year, February 2015, she suddenly announced that she would publish a lost manuscript that she had sent to editors in 1957. Mm. And that is the novel that came out, Ghosts at a Watchman. Mm-hmm. In contrast to the life of her first book, which was translated into 40 languages, she led a pretty quiet life, right? Mm-hmm. She was a very reclusive um, writer. And before her death, um, Harpali O'Neill, as she was known to those close to her, um, spent several years in a nursing home less than a mile from the house that she had grown up in in Alabama. And this, her hometown, Monroeville, was the setting for the fictional makeup of her famous bestseller, To Kill mm-hmm. a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. And we have lost another writer yes. recently, right? On the same day as um, Harper Lee, on the 19th of February, uh, Umberto Eco passed away at the age of 84. And Umberto Eco is an Italian novelist, um, literary critic, author and essayist who um, shot to fame with his 1980 novel The Name of the Rose mm. and he's been remembered as a master of Italian culture. And after his death, um, Italy's Prime Minister, Matteo Renzi, said that he was, I quote, an extraordinary example of a European intellectual Mm -hmm. combining unique intelligence of the past with a limitless capacity to anticipate the future. Mm. And he has left behind many academic writings and best-selling books. And he really is respected as an intellectual voice, both in Italy and abroad. Mm -hmm. He's also famous for having left a lot of um, famous famous quotes that are highly quotable. But what is he best known for in the international reading community? The name of the rose, of course. It's mm-hmm. a medieval detective novel set in an Italian abbey and it follows um, Brother Anthony of Baskerville as he investigates a series of suspicious deaths and it's been turned into a film as well starring Sean Connery as William. Mm-hmm. And um, he's also um, written a number of other novels, including Foucault's Pendulum, that came out in 1988. Mm-hmm. And his most recent work, Numero Zero, was published last year in 2015. And it's about um, a new newspaper in Milan that's funded by a meddling tycoon. Mm, media propaganda. <laughs> yes, and we have something to look forward to, though. Um, like later this year, a final novel by Umberto Eco will be released posthumously, um, oh, okay. According to Italian media. So, mm-hmm. Well, in the coming weeks on the bookend, we'll be discussing both writers, Harper Lee and Umberto Eco, on the roundtable. So we have that to look forward to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now let's turn our attention to the domestic book market. Which titles are popular with readers in Korea this week? 
We have a brand new number one bestseller this week. Um, Hemin Sinim's new title, "Ambiokazi mm. Anen Kotdere Dean Sarang" or "Love He's for back. He Is Back." <laughs> yes. um, Venerable Hemin, love for imperfect things or love for things that are not perfect. Mm-hmm. This is a tentative English title that I just came up with. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is his first book in four years, so his fans had to wait quite some time. Mm-hmm. And this book has gone straight to number one, and it's knocked the to be disliked or mium badalyongi of mm-hmm. the top place mm. and um, the courage to be disliked had been the number one bestseller in Korea for 51 weeks mm-hmm. so this is finally quite, <laughs> <laughs> quite an achievement uh-huh. yes 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 so can you tell us more about this week's number one bestseller Yes, this comes from one of the most influential Buddhist monks in Korea, Hemin Sinim, or the mm-hmm. Venerable Hemin. Mm-hmm. He's, he's up there with uh, Pomyeon Sinim. Yes, right? he yes, is. Yes. <laughs> and he became a best-selling author with his previous title, Things You Can Finally See When You Stop. And this book sold over 2.4 million copies in Korea. Mm. And um, Venerable Hemin, just to tell you a bit more about the author, um, he graduated from high school in Seoul and mm. he later went to the United States. Um, he studied at Harvard University for a master's degree in comparative religious studies mm-hmm. and he got a PhD in religious studies from Princeton University and it was while he was studying at Harvard that he decided to become a Buddhist monk mm-hmm. and he later served as a professor of religion for eight years at Hampshire College in Massachusetts. Mm. What is his new book about? This new book, his new title, Love for Imperfect Things, or mm-hmm. um, it's a book that delivers messages of love, hope and consolation for everything that's not perfect or everyone who's not perfect, you mm-hmm. know, that actually, you know, all the imperfect things that mm-hmm. fills the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much everything. <laughs> yes, everyone, yes. actually, that I know. <laughs> and about, you know, the people who are not perfect that we need to embrace, um, you know, our family members, our friends, our co-workers, or even ourselves, really. Mm. So, you know, we live in a society where there's a constant pressure for us to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. And what Hemin's name, or Venerable um, Hemin, is trying to say is that we don't need to be perfect after all. Mm. And what's really important is to, that we remember um, the role of charity and tolerance towards others. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, quite interesting that you were mentioning earlier that the courage to be disliked was number one on the bestseller list for you said fifty one weeks, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's great that love for imperfect things knocked courage to be disliked because <laughs> it's like love conquers all, yes, including courage. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's quite remarkable. Yes, the the importance of accepting things that are imperfect so we can finally embrace the imperfect in ourselves and learn to love ourselves yes yes that's a very important message for sunday morning (laughs) yes (laughs) well that's about all we have time for today thank you so much helen for coming in and we'll see you again next sunday okay see you next week bye-bye let's take a song break with melanie safka's the saddest thing coming up next is today's roundtable